welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. As I pause the iTunes playlist. Uh, this past weekend saw the sixth annual 48-hour film project New Haven, a weekend-long competition that challenges participating teams to write, shoot, edit, and produce a four- to seven-minute short film in two days flat. On today's episode of the show, we'll be joined by two filmmakers who participated in this year's contest, Rusty Martin and Lee Martin. Russ is a writer, director, and producer who runs Enormity Pictures in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and Lee is a nurse and dental hygienist at Bridgeport Hospital. Russ and Lee led two of the 39 registered teams in this year's competition, and both of their movies played last night at the Whitney Humanity Center on Wall Street as part of a series of screenings devoted to this year's 48. Russ, Lee, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hey, thanks for having us, us. definitely. All right, so if anyone's seen... uh, my article in the pen, then you know that I've spent a lot of time following you around this weekend. That Probably awesome. maybe awesome. Uh, <laughs> you made us look really, well, really like we knew what we were that. talking about. Thank you. As much as I'd like to talk about me during uh, the show, <laughs> I'm afraid that it's going to be mostly about you. But I probably spent a good maybe 30 to 35 of the 48 hours. May, that, that may be a bit much, but I tried to spend as much as possible. And so the name of the contest is it's not the greatest film of all time New Haven competition. It's the 48-hour film project New Haven. And it's very much about what happens in those 48 hours and about the process of making a movie. And that's one of the things that I find so exciting about it is not necessarily what happens at the end of it, but all the different steps of filmmaking laid bare. But with that said, I want to talk uh, at the top about what movies you two actually made. Uh, what what are the stories that you wound up telling? What is it that played last night at the Whitney Humanities Center. So maybe I'll go to Russ first and then Lee. Russ, what was the movie that you made for this year's 48-hour film project, New Haven? Well, what I did was I wanted to uh, tell a story of basically what it's like to be an independent filmmaker and try to get financing. So I told a story of a guy who's going to this lovely woman's house who happens to have a lot of money, and he approaches her about this idea for a film that he wants to do about this artist who... uh, it's kind of emotionally attached to his subject matter, which is this rock that's this weird cube and and uh, how everything in this artist's life is this... Oh, okay. Is that better? Perfect. Oh, that feels good. Right. <laughs> good. Got the Barry White going on. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I wanted to tell a story about this guy who's trying to make this story about this weird rock cube and he approaches a woman for money, but her being the producer of this story... Uh, she has outside interests, and her outside interest is this guy that lives in her house. And this guy comes up and has his own concerns and interests and starts squashing on this movie. And then my filmmaker also has his crew, which a filmmaker has to worry about and has to keep that guy happy. So it's these four characters all picking up the four different parts of creating an independent film and how our hero goes about convincing the producer to back his story. So that was that's what we went with. Yeah, and... <clears throat> Perfect. <laughs> so my film was actually because we were interested in the audience experience. We really wanted both of our films to connect. So my film was actually the film that his artist, his uh, filmmaker, was trying to get money to make. So my my film was actually about the artist that was interested in the rock, and it's actually called Blood from a Stone. And it's about an artist finding inspiration in the unlikeliest of places. So the movies, 
played last night at the Whitney Humanities Center on Wall Street, along with probably 15 or 20 other movies that were created over the course of the weekend. And I know that when I was speaking with both of you, you really wanted to emphasize the connection between the two movies you were making. That was um, not necessarily the the driving force behind any individual plot for either, but that was a kind of thematic connection that you thought would be really fun for the audience to engage with and also really fun for you two to think about as you were making your movies. So maybe thinking about the audience for a second, do you feel like after watching, after being in the room last night with the audience, do you feel like anyone made that connection? I was very excited because a few people did come up afterwards and they had tied it together. And I mean, that was the struggle was we didn't want to be too hokey about it, but we wanted, if you were watching and you know, you got to sit through like eight movies per set and there's four sets this year, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, to see some connections because everybody's filming in the same area anyway. So I thought it'd be fun for just an audience person to go and see something connected. So we were trying to connect it. um, Basically we wanted to have like at least four or five little points that if you're watching the two, you should be able to pick it up. Right. And And someone came up, came up to me and asked me, said, Oh yeah, I saw the, we saw the house. The house is so beautiful in both films. And we're like, Oh, we've seen that before. We saw it in the, I think that was in the last one. We're like, yes, that's exactly what we were looking for. So Yeah, it's hard to mistake the house. The house got. is gorgeous. So you, both of you filmed at this mansion right at the lip of the Long Island Sound, about a few miles south down in Milford. Milford. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a pretty, I was describing it to Lucy as this kind of temple to impressionism where everything mm. inside the space and outside of the space seemed to be dedicated to that shimmering beauty of 19th century French art, whether it be the books on the shelves, uh, the body of water outside, the sculptures, the way the light filtered in, everything about it seemed to be (laughs) grand and splendid uh, and just like, just beautiful. But the amazing thing is how homey it felt when you got in there. And that's, that's the family that lives there. They're really nice and like over and beyond nice. And you go in and you notice, uh, I mean, they got gorgeous artwork in there, which half of which was made by the woman who, who lives in the house. But more than the artwork, they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of their family everywhere. They, they're very tight-knit, very loving, very close family, and it's very warm. And they, I mean, they knew me and Lee, but uh, we brought in how many, 40 people with on two crews? You did sleep 30, Yeah, 35. and uh, they, they welcomed everybody with open arms, and they, they were just offering, and whatever we needed, they were there to help out. I... I couldn't. I wanted could to dislike pick. them because their house was so beautiful, and it was obviously worth so much. And Don't be it, jelly. I was jelly. <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Not the like or dislike or jelly part, but I was um <laughs> I was thinking there was an interesting, uh, if not tension, just juxtaposition between the people who were working on the film set were predominantly kind of working class film people. I mean, you had a lot of electricians, a lot of cameramen, camera technicians, actors, directors, and these are people who I know there was a rule of no politics on set. And that may have just been at the kind of superficial level of distinctions, but it seemed like um, the people on people working on the movie and the people hosting the filming of it was seemed to be, um, I don't know. There seemed to be quite a disjuncture between the two. Was there any discomfort at all on behalf of the host family or anyone working on set where people felt out of place or was it just, I open the rooms to you, 40 people, do whatever you want, and please don't break anything and, and make a nice movie. It was I mean, pretty much yeah, the latter. They, yeah. o- they were pretty open, and 
And not only that, but the people who were are on our crew and cast, they were all just in awe that, and we had established firm rules ahead of time. Um, anyway, we really, really hammered that into <laughs> to everyone so what that we make sure we were do, as hospitable as we, don't, we don't abuse their hospitality as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> on that a was set. rule one. Uh, honestly, rule one was yeah, please don't make these people regret being nice to us. Mm -hmm. But uh, if there was a problem, though, the problem is we were the directors. We weren't going to see it. We were on set. We were, you know, each had crews of about excuse me, uh, 15 people, at least, on set at mm -hmm. all times, plus another 15 people that we were sharing between the two sets. So if there was a problem, it didn't get to us. We had really good people producing on set with us. I had Leslie Bouchard, and uh, you had uh, Charles Shelton, who I'd like to shout out to Charles, because Charles is in the hospital right now recovering uh he had a stroke directly after the uh oh my yeah mm -hmm. so um hopefully nothing we did hopefully we didn't yeah the 48 is tough it's it is but tough. uh charles is doing well poor guy good yeah. well certainly our thoughts with him but every, i was gonna say everyone oh. survived the weekend i'm sure that he'll survive but that yeah. is barely a though, bit barely <laughs> barely yeah but no no we're still you know 100 percent. everybody got out of the weekend mm. one of the I'm glad that we started with the house and the setting because it was such a splendid location. But I know that one of the biggest challenges of being a filmmaker and also being a filmmaker and working in 48 hours is to adequately convey the splendor of the set that you are at. I mean, you're not just in the house enjoying it and filming it. You have to recreate the experience of being in that house for people who will be watching it on Wednesday night. Or even more importantly, you have to create an experience that goes along with the story that you're also telling that um, conveys something about the character, about the themes. Um, Russ, could you, because I know you did a lot of, uh, you know, wrangling with the amount of light coming into each room that and how huge, to represent yeah. the body of water behind the characters, um, how to give a sense of the kind of grandeur of the space. But could you talk a little bit about that balance of adequately kind of representing the space that you're in, especially when it's that beautiful, but also creating a new kind of artistic space entirely for the audience that's going to watch your movie? Right. And that comes down to a phenomenal crew. I mean, we had uh, David Zakora was the cinematographer, and uh, Mike McGilnick was our uh, gaffer. And it, it's one of those things that, you know, there's certain challenges with making a movie in 48 hours, but there's also challenges with making an, a no-budget independent film. And one of them was we could not afford to, uh, you know, put uh, ND diffusion, uh, basically filters, like tint the windows so that you could see what's going on outside. Because the main window for the uh, one of the opening scenes or the main room for one of the opening scenes is surrounded on three sides by windows looking out over Long Island Sound and we're shooting in the morning where the sun is there the whole time. So uh, there's this gorgeous view that we just could not pull off because we didn't have the time or the equipment to be able to pull that off. So to be able to see the ocean, you got to wait till we actually get outside of the house because the difference between the dark inside and the light outside, you can only affect so much with the with the equipment we had. And we had some phenomenal equipment, but... Uh, you know that 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 would have that was a ten thousand dollar production to be able to see the actors inside and the ocean outside. Lee, were there any location specific challenges that you and your team faced? Because you were in a slightly different part of mm -hmm. this house, and this house is complex. You were outside, outside. for the most part, and mm -hmm. you were right on the water. Um, yes. 
and weren't dealing with the way that light kind of filtered through windows as much and the way that that in turn was absorbed by the camera. But was there anything specific to that uh, location that you found difficult to overcome or was it kind of smooth sailing? Oh, yeah. The sun, you know, was difficult for us as well. Being outside, it was difficult for us to even see the footage go back and see whether or not there's shadows or anything. The sun just was so bright and was beating on me. I got told by every single person and their mother on set that I was getting sunburn <laughs> at that moment. And I'm like, I know, just I'm, I'm working through it. <laughs> we were right by the pool. So I was getting double reflected <laughs> uh, from the water. And um, the, the sun was bright, bright, bright. And we didn't get, we, shot first outside so we got all the sun and then when it started to rain we moved inside it was perfect uh transition so we got our shots that we needed outside and then we moved into the the she shed if you will which is covered in sculptures and beautiful paintings that the artist just has just that's her that's her workspace so we basically had a setup all set for us so that was pretty smooth sailing once we got inside for a movie about an artist where we had to uh fake uh, several paintings to show this guy working as he's going through it uh, to be able to have a set that was already a working art studio was, I mean, that was production pretty, design that you, yeah, you don't get for 48 normally. Russ does have a, a keen, keen uh, talent for finding locations that just are phenomenal and usually free. <laughs> well, maybe tell, tell me a bit about that because except for one team last night that explicitly said that they winged the entire, you know, 48 hours, they right. registered Friday night and then they're like, all right, we're making a movie now. Um, for the most part, I imagine for, you know, the 38 other teams, uh, even though you're just um, filming and editing and producing over those 48 hours, a lot has to happen beforehand to just get to the spot where you can make a movie over the course of a weekend. Uh, Russ, how did you, first of all, come to you know decide that you wanted to make a movie this year for 48? How did you get involved with this competition? But also give me and the listeners some insight into what kind of work has to happen beforehand to even be able to tell a story in the way that you tried to do. Okay, Leroy, you could take a break for a few minutes because it's going to be a long one. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. No, uh, basically, uh, me and Lee both volunteered to help out uh, Kelly Bil- Bigelow Becerra's production last year. She had uh, filmed a femme, and uh, we enjoyed it. We thought it was, thought it was a great concept, and uh, you know, we just wanted to help her out. So I gave her my normal crew that I normally shoot with. So it was, you know, basically she just stepped in as director for, for norm- our normal team. So we sat on and just helped out where we could. And we watched it. We was like, this is great. This is fun. We should try this. And then we go to the screening last year. And I have it on my phone, actually, right now. The note, and it has the date of the screening last year, where as soon as I watched it, I said, we need to do two movies that actually connected to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's where the first, and then for the whole year, I just kind of kept it in the back of my mind. It's like, yeah, maybe we'll do it again next year. And and last year was really, really tough because of uh, the, the organization didn't quite go the way that, that you would want because... We we really shot for the stars last year. We did an all overnight shooting for both nights, so that made everything a rush, and we couldn't shoot anything during the day, and it was it was tough. So this year was like, um, you know, let, let's do something that's a simpler, uh, mostly indoors, <laughs> a small cast of people, and play around. And what I do, um, because I did I got my uh, a feature film coming out this fall called uh, An Inappropriate Effect. And uh, the same system was it was a low-budget film. And when you have low-budget, all you have as a commodity is time. 
So you take the time to plan out every day's shoot. You take the time to work with every actor for as long as you can, as long as it doesn't cost you too much money. And you, you just try to go through everything and know everything that's going to happen. You try to prepare for every possible eventuality. And uh, then you just have to deal with the ones that you can't prepare for or never even thought of. You know, we actually got lucky this year because the only things that went wrong were things that we knew were a possible, possibility of going wrong. Things that we weren't confident on, but we didn't have any surprises. Normally in every film you get surprises of like, you, uh, we couldn't fix that. We couldn't. We didn't know that was going to go wrong. What were some things you expected mm-hmm. to go wrong that did go wrong this year? Uh, just uh, we didn't have enough of the crew in the right positions. We only had one professional sound guy. We had Jack Bradley, who is my favorite up-and-coming sound guy in Connecticut. The guy is one of the hardest workers, and he does phenomenal work. So uh, Jack was great. So Jack was on my set and this just advising some, uh, some of my interns who were working audio on Lee's set. And, uh, and, and that was it. So Lee's audio, you know, there's moments where it, it could have been better. We got it, though. We got everything we needed. It all worked, but there, there was stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, we had a problem with a, an editor who uh, just was, could not handle the, the, the pressure, really, of it. It was too much coming too fast. And then uh, we ended up editing. We, we handed in Lee's project literally 13 minutes before the 7, deadline. 7.17, due at 7.30. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were literally in a, in a time crunch, and uh, yeah, so that was stuff that was like we knew we were, we were trying out new people, and you know that's a really heavy responsibility job being the editor. You're the last person that touches it. Mm-hmm. So um, and you you have to work with what you're given. You know you you can't go back and get another shot. You can't ask for more things. You only get what you have, and that yeah, was kind of nothing an, more heartbreaking. Yeah, than getting into the editing bay and going, oh, we should have shot that. Oh, oh, we should have had another we angle. We have no transition oh, for God, this. We should have had another. There's no away. way we can cut away yeah. this. And yet, you know, I'm. I was thinking about some of the challenges that I saw on set over the course of the weekend, and then how those manifested themselves, or really did not manifest themselves in the screening last night. And one thing that I always am so you know amazed by with movies as an art is that the audience only sees one take of a scene. They see the best scene. They see the best take. They see the take that you as the director or the editor wanted to include. While watching, you know, you guys film over the course of the weekend, you can do a line, you know, 30 times. If it's just one line, you can do it over and over again. An actor can feel completely uncomfortable with it. Or maybe it starts raining or maybe the sun is falling in an inopportune way. But when it comes to... We what, had all those. <laughs> I know over the course of like five hours, all of this. But when it comes to what the audience sees, it's, it's really just... It's just the one, it's the best one, it's the one that you think fits the best. And so, Lee, I, I want to hear about your kind of frame of mind coming into the competition, what you were thinking about in anticipation of it, but also um, maybe riff on that just for a second with me. What Some of the challenges that you faced um, during the competition, but also that maybe did not manifest themselves in the final, pro- or maybe they all did for you. I don't know, maybe you feel like you saw everything on screen, but I feel like I'm always so impressed by how smooth looking things, you know, look at the end and in comparison to the kind of controlled chaos of the filmmaking process. Right. Um, Well, going in, I I have very limited experience uh, filmmaking. I mostly just tagged along in Russ's sets and uh, I did direct a um, educational video for the hospital, which I yet to see. (laughs) <laughs> We're still waiting on posts for that, but so I don't really know how I did, but 
the going into this um, film experience, I guess I was really um, just worried about that fact that I had lack of experience, worried about whether or not I'd be taken kind of seriously or respected in that way. Um, but with our crew, Russ's crew, I know I've known them for years now, almost like seven years now. And so I know them and they know me on a little bit of a different level. Now I just get to step up a different level uh, to director. So and I un unfortunately, I wasn't really using them. I had my own new crew, which we haven't worked together. So that was kind of one major challenge that we faced on Team Arc was that we didn't really have that advantage of knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses and knowing exactly what we needed at all times, knowing, having those... Um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting trade-off, though. Yeah. Because uh, it was your first time directing a big crew, and uh, having everybody on the crew be basically new to films, it's almost no one on her crew has ever been on a film set, with the exception of a couple of the actors. God, was that it? Really? Oh, and, and Charles, and her producer. Right. Right? So, um, and Eric Golak. He, I've yeah. worked with him before many times, so we yeah, work. Yeah, Eric's the man. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the exception of Eric and Charles and, and maybe a couple of the actors, no one else had been on a set. So she, we thought, we were debating on Friday night, you were there for that, where we thought that might be a, a, a bonus because you would be less nervous about you know telling professional film people what to do and mm. you know and i think that and we were talking about this at the on sunday afternoon as well about how there's a trade-off when you go in with a pretty professional crew there are expectations from every single person involved that this is how you shoot a scene this is how you shoot a scene well this is the setup that we need and when the most important constraint in 48 is time uh if you go through an elaborate setup and it winds up not being the right one it's all on me. <laughs> they're, they're, right, it's all on you, but also there are a lot of, um, you know, with a relatively inexperienced crew, I think it's even more on you as the director because you really have to be convincing and also help guide them through an experience that they may not otherwise uh, have the confidence doing. But you, I mean, you are, you do a lot of things, Lee. I mean, it is pretty <laughs> I do, amazing. You I are, do do a lot of things. You're a nurse. You're, dental hygienist you're going to be a teacher mm -hmm. um at east haven school and a seamstress and you were telling me about Hopefully, all the yeah. stuff that your <laughs> your mom does as well and it seems like jack of all trades oh yeah in the i get genes. that for my mother for sure <laughs> but is She's that awesome i do is that something when you approach a relatively new kind of creative opportunity like this do you feel like you are more naturally equipped just because you can yeah. do so many I different think, things or i think that's what a lot of people have the capacity to do that i just think that a lot of people don't because they don't have the practice i have the practice <laughs> i have plenty of practice in that i thank my mother for that um i kind of dive head first towards new experiences because i've had the practice to know that you know nine times out of ten you, you don't explode you don't die from it and uh it makes you stronger and it makes you more experienced and um and, and it's usually always enjoyable and you find joy more joy in it the more you do it so well hopefully you're finding joy listening to deep focus on 103.5 <laughs> fm uh, i'm your host oh, yes. tom breen and we're talking with rusty and lee martin two filmmakers who participated in this year's 48-hour film project new haven now russ you have a fair amount of experience making movies this is your 
uh, full-time profession as I take it. Could you right. give, give me in the audience a bit of background on um, your experience working on and making movies well before this, this weekend? Uh, I, well, I started actually in uh, TV news, and uh, I actually worked around the corner at WTNH. And uh, shortly after that, I left. I drove out to L.A., actually got my first job building sets and uh, made some friends. They liked me, so they put me on as a PA. And then that same film put me on as key PA. And by the end of the film, for the last uh, day of shooting, I was the first AD. And I was like, well, this is great. This is fun. And then uh, that wrapped into a few more jobs and, uh, you know, all small independent stuff. And then... uh, my father got ill, so I moved back to Connecticut. I actually moved back to New York. My father was in Connecticut, and I started working in New York, and that's when I started working, you know, uh, Disney films and, and uh, larger TV shows and, and uh, reality TV, which... Um, but, uh, yeah, so I started, in the, and I just jumped in on uh, whatever was going on, and then eventually I moved back up to New Haven. Love New Haven, so I didn't want to leave, and I just took basically any job coming into Connecticut. So... Uh, you know, we had a couple pictures with De Niro, a couple pictures. Uh, we had Indiana Jones come through New Haven. I got a couple days on that, and uh, but it, yeah, it was it was tough. But I, I what were your roles good. on some of those bigger productions? The bigger productions, through? I was either a PA or a kind of a special advisor, like an attaché, where I would be one of the guys who would uh, take the star around and just you know get them to set on time and make sure they were. I was the local guy, basically. That, that was my main thing. My uh, my main selling point. I had a little reputation for a while that I was good to for dealing with the really tough personalities, like the the tough producers or the tough actors that uh, you know might be a little bristly to some people. Yeah, then they call Russ, and Russ would come in, and and uh, I for some You're reason I get along with tough people very good well. Good at firing people. Yeah, yeah, but you can't fire those people. No, no that's a whole different mm-hmm. skill set. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, that yeah, I'm. This is something that I, I noticed a lot over the course of the weekend. Not necessarily, um, you know, being able to calm difficult personalities, but be able to approach uh, challenging situations with good humor and with decisiveness. And I feel like that is one of the most important uh, like combinations or attributes that a director can have. It can put the crew at ease, can make them feel as if they're being productive, but also to make sure that everyone is working towards a goal that... I mean, you described film as art by committee, and I love thinking about that, but I also think that the director has to provide the the ultimate vision for where everyone is moving towards. Um, and I saw that again and again and again and again over the weekend, whether it's um, tickling an actor just... You know, just to get him. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. This is the first time you know, I'm hearing about this. Struck like him it. with his lines, and not even you know, just to keep doing it until just we to get him stage to smile. Fright issue, and uh, you know, we would get the line out, but then they would forget to smile. So uh, on their way going up for one of the takes, I just uh, gave him a tickle monster. Oh boy! Yeah, Work. this is embarrassing. We got the line. <laughs> Whatever I, it takes, Leroy. Whatever it I takes. I can't go out in public anymore. <laughs> But it's, I mean, Lee, maybe you weren't tickling your actors on set, no. but if, do you feel like a, a similar obligation that as a director, even a new, you know, a relatively new director like yourself, that you have to both put people on set at ease, but also channel them towards something that will make sure that you get a movie done by Sunday afternoon? Yeah, there's definitely, there's always a little bit of wrangling. You have to, you know, the, you 
you kind of want to cause the the chuckles, but then you want to also rein them back in to make sure that they stay focused. And I think that's with any real group. You, I mean, any group you can, if you're leading a group, they you really have to be that boundary. So you have to make those boundaries pretty clear, but you want them to feel like they're not wasting their time or feel like, oh, we just were hard on them the whole time um, to get this product and then throw them away, you know, use them and lose them. So you want them to feel like they're a part of a group and part of a team. So I love that because you haven't been on too many other people's film sets. I have, and there's so few directors that do that. Yeah. And actually I was jealous because so at the fun, end otherwise. her whole crew came up and told me how wonderful it was to work with oh, Lee and how much fun you. she was and and how she had a, her 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 act together and was swore. Um, oh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no her crew loved her but uh, I mean plus it also helps that uh, a couple people on the crew were are very dear friends of mine. Uh, of ours and uh, we had uh, Dr. Whipple was her scripty and uh, I just love every take. Where's Whipple? I, I hear every every beginning of every take, take five, take, you know, and we're yelling, where's Whipple? Whipple. She's our, she's our scripty supervisor. She was amazing. And she kept, every time I look over at her, I'm like frustrated. I look over and there's Whipple just smiling, looking like, it's going to be all right. And I'm there like, several I times can, over I the, can handle over the this. day where I walked over her set, just like, okay, Whipple's over there. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Whipple's on set. <laughs> Whipple's on Everybody's set. Everybody's going to be relaxed. We'll get yes. through whatever the problem yeah. is. Yeah. There, there are a lot of great movies about making movies I mean, it's this wonderful subgenre and that kind of makes sense where you know one of the uh, most common types of artistic advice is make art about what you know and so i think a lot of filmmakers mm-hmm. internalize that and you and you find movies about you know backstage dramas or comedies about making a movie but uh, one of my favorites is called day for night by francois truffaut it's from the early 70s and it's about a director uh, who cannot make any decision, even the most inconsequential mm-hmm. of decisions in his personal life. He's completely torn between two women. He doesn't know where to live. Um, he can barely support himself. But when he's on set, just put two cars in front of him, blue and gray. He goes, blue. <laughs> you know, do we want to be filming in this room or that room? That room. Like he becomes the most, it's the one place where he's actually a functional human being is when he's in that role. And I wonder how, because of how demanding, at least from the outside, it seems to me to be a director is. Uh, do you feel like any of the obligations of that decisiveness, of that good cheer, of everything else required, jives with your personalities? Do you feel like you have to adopt a role when you are acting as director, or is there a pretty smooth transition between Russ the uh, Russ the person and Russ the director? I, I think it's it's actually relatively smooth, but this is kind of what I I you know always wanted to be, you know, is it, and. And it was just uh, modeling my personality out of a way of making my work life more, you know, productive and, you know, getting myself set up where I, the focus is trying to do, you know, quality work with quality people. And, you know, I, I focus on that so much that uh, I think my personality eventually adapted to that as I used to be a, a little more lackadaisical and, and fun and mirthful. <laughs> now I'm dour, <laughs> but you know we get we get. Some You're nice still work very done. mirthful, <laughs> um, but it helped a lot because I mean, you learn from every everybody that you work with, and I had one of the great blessings to work with one of the best directors in in Connecticut, which is uh, Alessandro Signore, who luckily at the last minute cleared up his schedule to edit our piece, and uh, 
So, yeah, I learned from him uh, the the idea of knowing what you want, having in your head, and still being able to keep one part, like one burner open for other people to say, hey, well, how about this? How about that? And being able to, to judge whether right or wrong, but being able to process it and just say, no, we can't do that, and then, then move on. But, you know, on occasion, you can find a way where that will fit. But having that, you, basically the right or wrong thing is the important part, right? It, it's, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong when you're on set because on set is, is usually money. So you need a decision. So sometimes you make a decision that's not the best one you could have made, but it did get you through your shoot day. And in the end, that's usually what's about in the 48 is especially about that. I mean, if you don't make your shoot day, you're out of the yeah, competition. And- and it really does kind of force you into that position of decision making instantly. So you have to have a decision. So constantly I was just like, oh my God, we don't have this. We don't have this. What am I going to do? And then I have a breakdown for about two seconds. And then I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. Or I'll just open it up to my cast. It doesn't matter. You're an actor. You're a PA. You've never been on a set before. Give me some ideas. And you have to be open-minded at that point. I feel like if you're super strict if you're super um close-minded you want the specific thing done a specific way it might not happen there might be leaves in the way or there might be when you need it right then you need it the rain comes you know those are things that are going to happen no matter what someone you know your boom breaks down or whatever it is uh you have to make those decisions so it kind of forces you into that role and you know, I, I have that in me, um, not always all the time. My decision making, especially with food, um, can be iffy at times. But um, in that directorial position, I feel like I did kind of but yeah, you, come into it. With, with the suggestions from other people, though, um, all of them, you know, as long as they come at the right time and right place, when you open it up, you say, okay, uh, we needed this vehicle, we don't have this vehicle, we need a way for this scene to happen, and you open it up to the cast and crew, even the bad ideas are useful because it helps you eliminate stuff. and you Or think uh, it a different way. And it's kind of how we work together on a, on a social basis is, you know, we're we'll still have a married. problem. That's why we're still married. And I will come up with 30 or 40 decisions. She's like, no, 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 no. no. And then by the end of that, she's like, okay, since all that doesn't work, this is how we have to do it. <laughs> and it's, it's basically directing. Yeah. So that, yeah. well, I, I definitely, I mean, the, the hook for better or worse of my article was, I think the title was filmmaking test marriage or something dramatic like that. But we the hook passed, was that, I think. yes, I think definitely passed. But the hook is that you two are not just filmmakers, not just friends. You're also a married couple, a couple that's been together for a decade. Ever. And mar- <laughs> married for... Feels like forever. <laughs> nearly half a decade. And um, I wonder how, you know, if you could talk a bit about how that dynamic came up over the course of the weekend, because it's one thing to be sharing, you know, cast and crew and um, resources and experience, but also to be able to balance a relationship that doesn't end once you leave the set, but is also perhaps, you know, the the most important one outside of that too. How did that factor in? I, I well, think that, that that's a benefit of having been together forever. Yeah, we, we really weren't in it to compete. Um, I think that's what saved us. I think that 
we weren't really trying to compete. We we started out with wanting to collaborate and make two different submissions that connected. And it actually was better. We were talking about this earlier. It was actually better because we didn't have this. We weren't on the same set because if we were on the same set, we would have one of us would be inferior to the other in some sort of role. So us both being directors of our own separate entities allowed us to feel the balance of power between us because we're both kind of power, you know, power hungry people <laughs> in the, in the, in a relationship. Strong willed is how you describe it Strong willed is great. Yes. And, um, so I think that really helped. We were in the same, lo- same location. We weren't too far from each other, so it was okay. We didn't have, we didn't break into, you know, DTs or anything from, yeah. from, uh, lack of, uh, lack of being attached, to being the attached to the hip. Yeah. yeah. But um, um, no, but that, one of the things though is, is because we know each other so well, um, and it's one of those things that you get with you know I have it with a couple of the crew guys I normally work with, like uh, Al Signore and Dave Sakura, and a little bit with uh, especially with like Eric Golak, where those people that you you've developed a relationship with, and nothing stronger than with Lee, but um, uh, right. when someone says something to you. You know, and if it's a stranger, it could be the best advice on earth, and you're usually going to be like, "Who are you to talk to me like that? Who are you? <laughs> what do you? What do you? What are you trying to say?" And when mm. it's someone that you know loves you, like my regular crew or my wife, who says, "Oh, maybe you shouldn't do it that way," you know they're not doing it out of anything but wanting you to succeed. So as soon as you can get that out of your head, that what they're saying is from the right place, you move so much faster, mm. so much quicker. You get so many shots done. You get to try more stuff. If you, the more trust you have with your people, the uh, the faster and the smoother and the more productive everything is. I think we take rejection better from each other and from we your only crew. take it from each other. And yeah, maybe exactly. Maybe from the crew a little bit. But when we come, when we spitball ideas, and I say no, 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 fifty times, he takes it with a grain of salt because he knows that there's there will be one that I say, oh my god, yeah, that's it. And he knows that that it, that he respects my decision making, and I respect his in the sense, you know. So we we really are collabor- We were were a collaborative team, still are. But. You know, I I mentioned at the top of the show that yeah, this is called the forty eight hour film project for a reason because of the the time crunch. The um, you know, in these two days, all of the different steps of the filmmaking process are laid bare for at least me as the reporter to look at kind of step by step, but also I think for each person on the uh, crew and cast to understand, you know, these are the elements that go into making a film and we have to seriously condense how long each one of them usually takes. And my favorite part, and this is true last year when I followed around Ryan Linquinko's team is the first night, the night when only, you know, you have a few people over at your house, you're writing the script but also, at least for me, I know Russ and Lee, you two were kind of locked in your own separate areas, frantically typing out. But one of my favorite parts is just sitting around and because we're on the radio, I'm going to say BSing instead of what that stands for. <laughs> but just BSing with people about movies, about movies they love, about it, about their background in movies, about whether Hellraiser 2 is better than Hellraiser 3, um, about how you know Dave drives down to Florida once a year to buy $60 worth of hot sauce. <laughs> um, it's, I find that those like, little pizza. odds... Yeah, right, the Hawaiian <sighs> pizza that 
he hoped would change your life. I'm not sure if it, it quite did. did but it did not. It was certainly oh a revelation to think that? about. <laughs> I ate it, and I, I, it was Holy okay. Crap. It was edible. Right. But I feel like that that Friday night is when the majority of the stories that I take away from the 48 happen. And I wonder if for you two, obviously you're in a different mental space then because you're you're writing. But ultimately, the question I'm getting at is, what do you two? get out of this experience? What's unique about what happens in the 48 that may not necessarily happen on other film sets or other, but also were there, were there highlights in the writing process and the filming process and maybe not editing, maybe that's all stress. Damn but, near no memory of the writing process. Hmm. <laughs> Honestly, I, it, war, actually, war. after we got back from outer space, I lost the keys to my car and I still have not found them yet. <laughs> yes, anyone who has the keys to an Audi, please. So anybody on our team's listening, please, if you come across some Audi keys, keys uh, so, um, but no, that was just a frantic, frenetic blur of, all right, we, uh, my team's going to need me ready for Saturday morning. I got to have something for them. Uh, yeah, I don't remember much from, from Friday night at all. I, I, I remember running out with a couple key questions of directions I wanted to try to go with. And yeah. um, that that's it, really. Yeah. yeah. So then and, why, oh, I'm sorry, I'm before, sorry. before I get to you, yep. why... Why do you, why do this? I mean, what is it that you think is worthwhile for you as a oh, filmmaker? Oh yeah, that's where I wanted to and, go with this. Yeah. And and a, um, you know, just a, a person hanging the, out with friends. What what do you get out of this? Well, I mean, not to get too grandiose about the forty eight, but you know, the Academy Awards are supposedly a competition, and it's so you know Yankees versus a you know minor league ball team kind of setup on the Academy Awards where you can't really it, it's not a real competition. Because the levels are too far off. With the 48, it's actually uh, the most legitimate style of filmmaking competition. Because, I mean, it's it's half about the product and half about the execution of the product. And just the ability to get to the end and get your thing in on time with something that it's not based on resembles money. a story. It's not is, based on money. It's, it's not, not based, based on money. It's not based on how much time you spend. It's literally your execution. Yeah, execution. Yeah, execution. It's like, all right, can you come up with, with something that actually counts as a story with a beginning, a middle, and the end? And can you pull it off in just the minimum amount of time? And it's, the 48 is really fantastic for that. It's like the best exercise for just, you know, not talking about what you want to film and what would be great. And, oh, if we only had $50,000 more or, or, you know, if we only got a backer for this. Oh, if we only got that location. Now that all goes out the window. It's like, all right, can I tell a story? And I, I love that. I think that, and I, I think we'd be more than willing to try it again next year. Maybe not as two separate teams, but, uh, but uh, yeah, the ability to just, you know, put up or shut up. On, can you tell a story in 48 hours? Was, was that uh, the either key takeaway or one of the things that made this a worthwhile experience for you as well? For me, being brand new um, at this uh, directing thing, it was all about experience and, and getting getting that feeling that, you know, sharing that experience that my husband, you know, gets, has, has received over the last several, several years, years and years and years and years. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remarked, I think to, you, uh, earlier this weekend and, uh, that, you know, it was we're kind of turning into a big mush monster cause I'm teaching him how to sew while he's teaching me how to do film. So I'm like, we're really, we really need to spend a little less time together and find, yeah. find yeah, some individual activities. We are one of those really awful couples. We, really we, gross. Yeah, it's bad. We just uh, <laughs> yeah, spend too much time together. 
Well, <laughs> this weekend, you definitely off, even though on the same location, I definitely got the sense that you were two fully independent, self-sufficient beings. So you would have duped me in terms of your <laughs> <laughs> self-sufficiency. But um, I, one of my, uh, one of the questions that I like to ask everyone who comes to the studio, and we've had a number of filmmakers from the New Haven area, people making movies about the New Haven area, um, is about the challenges and benefits of being New Haven area filmmakers. I mean, food. we are food. I'm food. here. For, that was yeah. actually that yeah. was one of the things that Gorman Bouchard was the first thing that he said I because he Gorman. made yeah. his movie about New Haven pizza. Yeah. But when you think about, I mean, we're you know right in between New York and Boston, definitely larger, more you know, if not more cosmopolitan, definitely kind of mega you know, mega mega cities, whereas we're a much smaller New England city. But Russ, as a filmmaker who you said over the weekend that you you never want to leave New Haven. This is your home. This is the place that you love. What are some challenges and benefits of being a filmmaker uh, who lives in and works in New Haven? Uh, the benefits are food, and the challenges is not all the best places to live. That's, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, no, but it's a great... And we were walking around last night with uh, Dave Sikor, my cinematographer. He's thinking of moving down here. Uh, we got a couple other of our normal crew thinking of moving down. Because they all Interns. live up... Yeah, up by Bristol, you know, a lot of them were former ESPN guys, stuff like that. And um, just the energy and what's available in New Haven is great. And the size of it makes it perfect. Uh, my, my mentor, uh, Jerry Dunkley, used to call this a vest pocket town. It, just, it was just, you know, just small enough where if you're here long enough, you can really get to know everybody in whatever industry you're in. And uh, you get mainly get to know all the bartenders. That's huge. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and you can get a little bit. I mean, the only to really, to do anything better, you either have to go to New York or Boston. Mm-hmm. Those are the two closest places where you're going to be better. Stanford's very nice, but it's not New Haven. Hartford's pretty nice, but it's it's not Stanford or New Haven. But, um, yeah. Do yeah. you feel like you belong to a f- filmmaking community here? Because one thing that I hear often is that we love how you know rich in the arts New Haven is, how diverse its population is, how diverse its you know geographical settings are, but also that there's a filmmaking community, but it's somewhat fragmented. And it is. there's something like Gorman Bashar and Charlie Musser's New Haven Documentary Film Festival through the 48. There are these various initiatives to bring people, you know, like-minded film lovers and makers together. But I wonder if you feel like you are kind of siloed here, or if you have a, a team, a group, a, a community. I have a. I- I wish it was a larger community. One of the reasons why we, we did the 48 was I wanted to, to network a little more because there was a couple of the uh, the submissions from last year that I watched, and I was like, I, I want to work with these guys. I want I want to see what you know they're doing. There was a few things. I was like, how, do I, how have I not worked in Connecticut with a couple of these teams yet? And uh, one of the really nice things about getting the 48 is I got to meet a lot more of them, and, and you know, I got a couple numbers. I got a couple names, and I'm hoping to you know, get a little more involved, but it, I, I've noticed it's a very Connecticut thing though, is the separation of all these little fiefdoms. And, uh, with the filmmaking part, it's, it's not quite so bad because a lot of us, if I haven't worked with you, my camera guy has, or my gaffer, or I've, I've used your audio guy. So we all kind of know each other a little bit, but it would, yeah, I would, I would, I would like to see something a little bit tighter. And Gorman has been phenomenal. Gorman, uh, at the beginning of uh, shooting my feature, he he was uh, very helpful in uh, in offering advice, and and he made himself available to me for that. And uh, yeah, 
And we only have a few minutes left, and I'm so grateful to both of you for coming by. This has been a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and also for letting me follow you around this weekend. That was yeah, uh, oh. hopefully not too intrusive, but I, um, I, I really love covering this event and happy to profile a few filmmakers. But Lee, in, in the closing um, minutes of your time here, I wonder if, as someone who is more of an amateur filmmaker and also on the you know, familiar with the more professional scene that Russ works with, but also kind of on the periphery of it. Do you see New Haven as a hospitable place to people at any level of proficiency for making movies? Or is there something that you think would do a better job of encouraging people like yourself, people interested in challenging ways to tell stories, to pick up a camera and do it in the New Haven area? Yeah, like you said, I'm I'm amateur, so I, I don't really know a lot about filmmaking in New Haven specifically. I just know a lot about Russ's crew that he's gotten all over New Haven area. Um, and I know that, that grants would help, uh, definitely help with filmmakers filming in New Haven. Absolutely. We could always use more grants. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, the hospitality of New Haven is always, I felt always felt home here. So, I love New Haven. I don't want to leave. <laughs> I love it. But I would like to say on our way out is uh, to thank you for to Clyde Sadler, who is our my videographer. And um, she, she did great with my, me yelling at her and back and forth. And I'm, uh, and she had some beautiful shots. And um, she's also just a photographer So in her normal life. So this was a big coming out of her shell here as well. And also Brynberg for making a nice poem for the she just came out with a, she's an actress and she just came out with a, a poem. So for the, for this specific project. So I think that that really showed that our amateur film crew has actually has a lot of talent going on. And, um, and they, they dove headfirst with me on this project. And I really appreciated that. And I think we have a lot more to expect from New Haven. Great. Well, if people want to learn more about um, Russ, about the movies that you make, that you work on, um, is there any any websites or any Facebook pages that you want to direct people to, to if they want to learn more about the filmmaking of I Russ D. Do, Martin? But the last time I checked it out, uh, like two days ago, it seems to be down. But uh, it's aninappropriateeffect.com uh, is the one that has all the, the basics of uh, the feature film that we have out and then a couple of the other smaller things we've been doing. Uh, we will be starting a new enormitypictures.com, uh, hopefully by the end of the summer. And um, yeah, and we got some stuff on Facebook. I, I'm horrible with the social media aspect of it, and we need to work a little bit harder because of uh, our, our features at festivals now, and they really look for that. That's been one of the, the big lessons is what festivals actually want from people versus what you think. Oh, I'm just going to make a good movie. It'll go in. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. Well, I would love to. I'd love to have you back on for an inappropriate effect whenever that is making the festival circuit, or you just want to talk about it on the radio. I definitely have a spot. Well, awesome. we've uh, submitted to the New Haven International, so we should be hearing back from that. I think in September. Great. If we get in, uh, I'll be more than happy to come down. I live right down the street. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Rusty Martin and Lee Martin are two filmmakers who participated in this year's 48-hour film project, New Haven. Uh, Russ runs Enormity Pictures, and Lee is a nurse and dental hygienist and soon-to-be teacher at East Haven School. Uh, Russ, <laughs> Lee, thank you so much for coming by the studio. Thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up next is Alicia's Cocktail Hour, but first, uh, let's hear a bit of music. <laughs> <laughs> 